The reading for this evening is Psalms 19, verses 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, more than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warmed, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors, cleansing me from the secret faults? Keep back your servant also from the presumptions, presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Good evening. It is good to be together once again this Lord's Day. We're thankful for the opportunity and the provision that the Lord has blessed us with, the time to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is always encouraging to be able to worship God, especially whenever we're able to do so a couple of times on the Lord's Day. You know, we live in a time and a generation where there is a very troubling issue, that there is a very deep lack of respect for authority, and not just Bible authority, and not just an authority from God, but authority in general. There is a rebellious tendency that, especially among people of my generation, that there seems to be that well, we can just do things our way. We can do things the way we want to. We don't have to do it the way that it's always been done. And not just in religious matters, but in anything. You can just look at all the many different examples of how the people treat police. And I, was, I was brought up in a time in which, or at least my parents, maybe I was abnormal, but my parents taught me to have respect for someone who had a badge on. Or someone who, uh, how you speak about the president, even if you have deep, deep disrespect for some of the policies that they might enact, you still treat someone that you disagree with with respect. I remember as a child that, I won't name any anyone who came on TV, but there was a president that came on television and I, I booed him. And it was a moment that was, uh, I should not have done that because it was after a school shooting and a president did what the president should do. And he came and he had some somber remarks. And uh, my dad, he corrected me. He corrected me and he said, this is not the time to do that. There's just a, a lack of respect for how we talk about people who are in positions of authority. And there is such little regard for some of those in positions of authority that it is no great surprise that you would see people who would attack biblical authority. 
And we would we should not be surprised whenever people do not have a respect for God's word. And God's word seems to have very little esteem among many of our friends, or our neighbors, or our peers. And that is a troubling issue. That's a very troubling issue that we need to return to having a deep respect for God and for His Word and for His authority that is revealed to us through His Word. And Bible authority is not necessarily the most fun of topics to talk about. There's probably a lot more things that we could uh, talk about that maybe you could even find even greater application for. But I would argue that Bible authority is the foundation for any application that you're going to ever be able to put into your life as a Christian, as a child of God, then it's going to begin with having a proper respect for God and for His Word. And if we neglect a study of Bible authority, then we are forsaking the foundation of our faith, the foundation of our work, and the foundation that our hope is built upon. And so we have to have... a proper understanding of biblical authority. But this evening, I want us to not just talk about, and we might do this in the future, but how you go about establishing Bible authority. That is important. But this evening, I want us to talk about why is Bible authority needed in the first place? Why is this something worth talking about? Why is this something worth considering? I think that's an important first question that we have to have to set the foundation for any future study that you might have on biblical that I want us to notice about Bible authority and why it is needed is because God intends for His Word to help us. God's Word is intended for our good. The Apostle Paul would tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 16, he says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's a key word in that text in verse 16 that all Scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable. When we open up God's Word, we need to expect it to be profitable, that it's going to help us. It's going to do something for us. And whenever we talk about the Bible, we need to understand that we are talking about a message that is from God. The, word, the second key word, or the first one really in that text, is that it is inspired and that doesn't mean that we saw some pretty sunset and that we were then somehow moved in an emotional way to go and you know maybe recreate that uh, that sunset in a painting or something of that nature. That's not how the Bible uses the word inspiration here. The word inspiration it really means God breathed. And so when we're when we're talking about scripture, we're talking about something that is breathed out by God. And you talk, you think about what it takes to to talk. Right now, I'm having to use air to talk. It's breathed out. It is God's Word. When we're opening up the Scriptures, when we're reading it, it is God's Word and it is powerful. It is able to help us and it is profitable for us. And the reason that we believe that the Bible has authority 
is because we believe the author of it is God. The sovereign God. The God who created the universe. And that is the only reason that we would suggest that the Bible has any kind of authority is because its author has authority. And so it would be of no surprise that the Bible is helpful to us. Because God, who is a loving Creator, who has helped us and who wants what is good for us, He has given us everything that is needed for our good, spiritually speaking. That He has given us, God, the Word for uh, that we might be taught. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that we can be adequate and we can be equipped for challenges that might be ahead. The Scriptures have been given to us for those things and it equips us so that we might become better, that we might be engaged in every good work. The passage that we had in our reading this evening in Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a beautiful psalm. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I want you to stop and see how the psalmist is writing here. He describes the law of the Lord, and then he describes the benefit of And so, in these couplets, the law of the Lord is perfect, it restores the soul. You have the description of the law of the Lord, and then you have the description of what it is capable and powerful enough to do. He says in verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. He describes how they should be desired, that they are beneficial for us. And I love how he says in verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Whenever we are committed to following God's Word and God's law, there is reward on the other side. That should tell us something very significant about God's Word. In that God's Word, it is intended for our good. It is intended to benefit us. It is in God's purpose in revealing His will. He wants to help us. And so whenever we talk about Bible authority and we want to say, okay, is this something that we can do or should do? It is always with that filter in mind. Is this what God wants us to do? And is this going to be beneficial for us? Because God's Word is intended to help us and to be for our good. And when we have a deep-seated respect for God, then we are going to have a deep respect for His Word. In Psalm 119, I love Psalm 119 because it is the longest psalm, maybe because I'm a little long-winded. It's, uh, it likes Maybe I just feel some kind of camaraderie with the, the writer there. 
But in Psalm 119 and in verse 1, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. When we seek and keep God's testimonies, we are seeking the Lord with all of our heart. He says that whenever we are observing the law, we seek Him. Whenever we keep His commandments, we are seeking God. That we are seeking the relationship that God has intended for us. We're not just somehow involved in some kind of what I think is a very poor misconception about Bible authority is that we're somehow worshiping the Bible. That's not at all what it is about. It is that whenever we have a deep respect for God, then we're going to have a deep respect for His Word because His Word draws us closer to God. And following God's Word is not arbitrary. It brings blessing. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. If you want to have the blessed life that the psalmist describes, it begins with with keeping His commandments, with turning to God's Word. That's the key to blessing and to receiving that blessing. Following God's Word is not just something that we arbitrarily read and believe and obey. just because we think it's a good book to follow. While it is a good book to follow, wouldn't argue that, but while it is a good book to follow, it's something much deeper than that. This is a revelation from God Himself. And following the Bible and demanding and expecting biblical authority for what we do in the local church or how we live our life, it is an expression of our desire to have a relationship with God. And following God's Word in the Bible is something that we need to be deeply committed to and invested in because we are deeply committed to and following God. And as I mentioned, just to perhaps clarify any kind of of misconception that people have had in the past and that I've heard that has alarmed me whenever talking about Bible authority, someone might, well, I don't really want to talk about that. That's, that doesn't seem all that important to us. There seems to be like a lot more things that you could talk about, preacher, that might be a little bit more helpful to me. And then I've heard people say, well, you know, it's like you're making the Bible the fourth person in the Godhead or something, that you worship the Bible. I want us to to clarify something about that this evening. That no, whenever we talk about the Bible, it's not that we're elevating it to be a fourth person of the Godhead. We are recognizing its proper place, though. That it is from God. It is from God. And that we need to... Stop and give pause to what He has revealed in His Word. We don't worship the Bible. We don't worship the ink on the page. But the Bible is, as the Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Have you ever stopped to think about why is the Word of God living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword? 
It's because its author is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is able to pierce as far as the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The reason that the Word of God is capable of doing that is because it is from God. The God who is capable of doing such things. And so whenever we talk about Bible authority, I think the first reason that we need to just stop and think about why this is important and why we need Bible authority is because God's Word is intended for our good. But secondly, this evening, I want, us to, I want to suggest that Bible authority lays the foundation for what is right. It reveals something about what we are permitted to do. And, and so we think about laws oftentimes, and we were making this point on Wednesday evening in our adult Bible class in the book of Genesis, that laws sometimes, and, and maybe this is what discourages us from reading laws in the Old Testament sometimes, is that we feel like that is really, really restrictive, that God doesn't want us to have any kind of fun. That's maybe the impression that we can come away with whenever we're talking about laws. And one aspect of Bible authority is that it restricts. It certainly gives limitations of, okay, this is the boundary. Do not go beyond that boundary. That's certainly a part of Bible authority. But I think if you wanted to look at it from a more positive light, there might be boundaries, but then there's a lot of freedom within those boundaries of identifying what we are supposed to do. As we illustrated on, on Wednesday in, from the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 2, that the Lord, in verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. That word freely, you can eat any of the trees. There's just one tree. There's just one tree that you cannot. That's the boundary. You talk about giving you a lot of license and a lot of freedom, a lot of liberty. That's a lot. That There's all these trees here in this garden that you can eat. There's just one that you cannot that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And so there certainly is a restrictive element to Bible authority. I don't want to leave the false impression that the that Bible authority doesn't restrict. It certainly does. But it also identifies what we are supposed to be doing that is correct. I think that's the primary function of Bible authority. It shows us first and foremost what we need to be doing that is right. I want to illustrate this in a few ways tonight. And you can just follow along. There's going to be several verses that we'll put up on the screen this evening that might help you understand and just see this point being made. But whenever we talk about to some of our denominational friends about baptism, and we talk about the necessity of water baptism, 
And that baptism is a, it's a burial. It's an immersion in water. You know, we might go to a passage like Acts chapter 8 and verse 38 where Philip and the eunuch are together and Philip has been teaching the eunuch and he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water. Philip as well as the eunuch and he baptized him. I've never seen someone who practiced sprinkling or pouring go down into water, have you? And just point this out that the Bible, whenever we're going to passages like this, it shows us what we are supposed to do. And maybe that's a very basic illustration that you've probably heard, but I think it's important for us to understand. Or whenever we talk about the work of the church in evangelism, that we as individual disciples have an important part in spreading the gospel in Acts chapter 8 and in verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the Word. Individuals carried the message of the Gospel. Later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, we read about the church in Antioch. Um, well, I don't have that verse up there. You can We'll get to this one here in just a second. But in Acts chapter 13, uh, where Paul and Barnabas are sent on that first missionary journey, the church in Antioch sent them. They appointed those men to go and preach the gospel. They did so without the aid or the use of a missionary society or the sponsoring church arrangement. They didn't write letters all over the area to say, hey, contribute to this cause. That's not what you saw among the early church. You saw disciples and you saw a local church commit to sharing the gospel. And you did not see an organization larger than the local church. You saw the organization of the church in Acts chapter 14. And in verse 23, when Paul and Barnabas are on their way back to Antioch, and they are going back and revisiting all those churches that they helped establish, they had appointed elders for them in every church having prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. If you want to talk about how is the church supposed to be organized, we have an example here in Acts chapter 14 in which we see and we learn how the local church is supposed to be organized. If we didn't have passages like this, then we might be thinking, well, how does God want it? We could set up all these committees or we could set up a board of trustees and we could do this and do that. But God's Word has shown us how He wants us to do things. He has shown us the right way to do things. In our worship to God, in our worship to the Lord, we sing without the use of instruments. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He specifies the type of music that he wants in singing. Worship through song, that we can all be strengthened and edified and we can all participate in that. We find out what God wants. That is one of the most important functions of Bible authority. 
we find out what the Lord wants us to do and how He wants us to do it. I may not be able to tell you why He wants it all done in that particular way, but I do think it is important for us to recognize His authority and that His authority is trying to show us what is right and beneficial and what is best for us. Think about the observance of the Lord's Supper and the day in which we are to partake of the Lord's Supper in that we are seeking to observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week as the early church did in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 on the first day of the week. When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them intending to leave the next day and he prolonged his message until midnight. Don't worry, we're not going to go to midnight. And also you can keep reading. And Paul did go later than midnight too. So uh, trust me, I don't have that much to say this evening. But it is important that we recognize certain things that God wants done in some way because He wants us to do it in a way that's right and proper. Think about the work of the church in benevolence. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and in verse 16, whenever Paul is describing the, the qualifications of a widow indeed, and someone who meets those qualifications, Paul says you ought to help her. If she doesn't have any family member that can help her, or anything of that nature, if she's older, then you help her. If she is in need, and so she is a widow indeed. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 16, he says, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened. And so there is a limit to our benevolence, he says. I think that's important for us to point out. There is a limit. He says, don't let the church be burdened. But then what does he say after that? So that it may assist those who are widows indeed. The reason that there are limitations, it's because there is this push that we need to recognize that we need to be doing what is right. You see, Bible authority isn't something that should just cause us to stop and to freeze up where we don't do anything. Bible authority is important key for helping us understand what we need to be doing what we need to be prioritizing. Yes, we need to recognize and respect the boundaries and the limits that God has put into place through His Word. We need to honor those things. We don't need to, to push back and fight what God has limited and restricted. But we also need to understand that this is not just so we walk around fearful, that we go about doing and preaching and teaching and helping do what is right. Because if it were not for the Bible showing us and telling us what to do, then we would be all wandering around, questioning, we'd be confused. We'd be thinking, okay, is this right? Is this permissible? Or is this the way we ought to do it? And we certainly could not be of the same mind and have the same purpose. 
Paul says explicitly in, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now we need to have one mind and one spirit that strives together not in opposition with one another, but we need to be united in purpose. That's why Paul would go on in chapter 2 of Philippians in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That's a high standard that Paul wants for the church to have. To be of the same mind. Think the same thing. Be in sync with one another. That's what Paul is desiring for the church. And that's what the Lord expects among His people. And if we throw out the standard, if we throw out the Bible as that standard, we're not going to have any way to function like that. The Bible and its authority is going to be key to understanding what God wants us to do and having the unity in the church that He expects us to have. Which brings us to a third reason of why we need Bible authority. Because without biblical authority, everyone is just going to do what they want to do. And you don't have to think or imagine very hard to come up with scenarios where that point wouldn't be manifested and prove itself to be true. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 17 and in verse 6, the end of the book of Judges is it's deplorable. It's so discouraging. You see, the people of God, they have come into the promised land and yet they just cannot get over the idolatry and the wickedness, the immorality that is going on in Israel. And the author of Judges makes it very clear. In Judges chapter 17 and in verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. In chapter 18 and in verse 1, in those days there was no king in Israel. He had, again is emphasizing that without the leadership, everyone was just a, it was a free for all. Everyone did what they wanted to do. In chapter 19 and in verse 1, now it came about in those days when there was no king in Israel. Again, another despicable story that occurs that we read about after that. When there is no leadership, 
things do not go well. In the very last verse of the book of Judges, ends with that acknowledgement. In Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When there is no authority that is respected, everyone is going to do what they want to do. The book of Proverbs warns that God is needed to guide man's steps. The book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 12, in Proverbs the 12th chapter, and in verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Or in chapter 14, and in verse 12 of the book of Proverbs, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It's again reiterated in that idea in chapter 16 and verse 25. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The book of Proverbs is about wisdom. It's about how to live a wise and godly life. And if we're going to be wise, then we have to be humble enough to get out of our own way. We have to be humble enough to say, God knows what is best. In the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 10, in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, Jeremiah says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Jeremiah makes it very clear that when people are left to their own devices and their own imaginations, departing from following God's laws, they forsake the Lord. When we do what we want to do, then it's going to lead us away from God because we are abandoning the authority that is needed, the guide that is helpful for us. And so it is no wonder that whenever people have an utter disregard for biblical authority, when they abandon what the Scriptures teach, and when the church remains silent on the importance and the need of having biblical authority, then we just should not be surprised about some of the practices that are going to arise and occur in the Lord's church today. Some of the things that we're going to have to fight. You see it's becoming more and more common that there are women preachers or teachers and even elders. The use of instrumental music. You have abuses of the church treasury and evangelism or benevolence. 
even something as clear as which day of the week we are to partake of the Lord's Supper on, it's becoming more and more common and prevalent that some people are arguing that you can take the Lord's Supper on any day of the week. They might say you can take it on a Thursday or on a Saturday. You can take it on any day of the week. And all of these things just serve as an illustration to help us see that whenever we disregard authority, then we are setting ourselves up for failure. Because everyone's going to go one, some people are going to go this way, some people are going to go that way, some people are going to go this way, some people are going to go that way, some people are going to go that way. People are going to go wherever they feel like, going to do whatever they want to. And if we turn away from God's Word in the Bible, then we're setting ourselves up to be doomed. That's why in Second Peter, Peter warned. In Second Peter chapter 1, and in verse 20, he says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. He wants us to understand that the Scripture has been revealed from God. That's what Peter wants us to, say, to see and to acknowledge and to appreciate that this Bible wasn't written by men and it did not come and originate in the thoughts of men. And so he goes on in chapter 2 and in verse 1, there, sometimes I hate whenever the, where the people put the chapter divisions. Because chapter 2 and verse 1, notice what he says, "...but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned." And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter's warning about the same thing that the people in Israel did. When they abandoned authority, primarily God's authority, they did whatever they wanted to do. They turned to destruction, they turned to idolatry, they turned to sexual immorality. They did some very grotesque, hurtful, harmful, destructive things. And Peter, he wants us to recognize that the Bible, it came from the Holy Spirit of God. The inspired text of Scripture is from God and His Spirit. These things were not cleverly devised fables and stories. The things that we read about in the Bible are intended to help us to avoid the mistakes that people made in the past and show us the path of righteousness. 
That's why the author in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 19, David said, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. God's law is perfect. And as he concluded in verse 11, in keeping them there is great reward. Bible authority is not about being an old fuddy-duddy. Not trying to have any fun. It's not even about trying to say, no, you just can't do this or you can't do that. That's not the purpose of talking about Bible authority. The point and the purpose talking about Bible authority is that if we want to be blessed, if we want to be rewarded, then it begins with respecting and appreciating God's Word. We need to continue to have discussions about biblical authority because if we abandon Bible authority, then we are ultimately forsaking God. God's Word is our guide and our authority in life. It leads the way to God. It gives us the hope of eternal life. This evening, as we have tried to look and appreciate and understand some things about God's Word and the principles that are found within it, God's Word shows us the way of salvation. It can make us wise unto salvation. And this evening, you need to become a child of God. You need to make things right with the Lord. You need to come to Him. And if you have come to Him in faith, repentance, and baptism, but you've not been living faithfully for the Lord, you need to come back to Him. It's going to come back, and you need to stop and appreciate what God has done for you in your life. And He has given you His Word He has made promises to you. He's given you the assurance that salvation is possible if you will come to Him. Because He loves you and He wants you to be His child. He wants you to serve Him faithfully. And if we can help you in any way tonight to make that commitment to Christ, or if you need to come back to the Lord, we want to help you. If you can let us know in some way this evening, come now as we stand and as we sing.